Back again to discuss another week in independent league baseball, and it was a week full of exciting news and action. We'll break it all down here on the Indie Ball Report podcast. All right, back again, another week of independent league baseball, and yet again, we go to the bullpen, we bring on a guest host. Again, we bring on Will from ALPB News. How's it going today? Not bad, not bad, Nick. So, I was your first two-time guest, so just to clarify, this would make me the first three-time guest as well, is that right? You are the first three-peat guest, I I will say that much. Which, as we covered last time, technically it's like the fourth time, but it's a four with an asterisk because we did lose that one recording. That is true. That is true. The 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 long lost episode that we've referenced so many times. And again, I will reference say it was really good. Really good. And I'm really annoyed that I couldn't get it. And what's sad (laughs) too is I could kind of sort of hear it, but it just couldn't be saved. But luckily, we figured out how to get the phone line working now, and. Exactly. And so all is well and good. So, so much easier now. I know it is a lot easier and everything. Plus now we can actually do in the one year we could have done like a whole like combined Atlantic League preview show and everything. There's a global pandemic that hits. I know. So sometimes you just can't win them. I was looking forward to doing a big Atlantic League preview on here. Unfortunately, uh it was not not to be. So we get to talk about other indie leagues. I know, like the American Association, which takes up the bulk of this show, because it's really the only of the three major leagues that are remaining, at least for this year. Yeah, obviously a lot, a lot of great action. I, I think, I think you would agree, Nick. This is probably the most talented the American Association has ever been, and it's probably not close. I mean, th- there's, there's so many guys in this league that I look and I, and I watch them play, and and it kind of dawns on me like. How are they playing in indie ball? Like you look at guys, for example, uh, like Drew Ward of of, Far- of Fargo Moorhead. The the man had an 8.24 OPS in 50 games in Double A last year in the I believe the National system, and then Triple A he had a 8.83 OPS in 28 games. Yet he is playing in the American Association. I think it really just shows you how, how talented this league is this year, top to bottom. Oh, absolutely! You have guys like Drew Ward, like you mentioned. We have a lot of former Atlantic League talent that's there, too, and a lot of guys that former Can-Am League types, like Frank Duncan, who just balled out last year and was just such a dominant force. He's continued that. I mean, he had one rough start, but by and large, he's continued that here. Then you have guys like former major leaguers, such as like Darnell Sweeney. We saw David Washington, who, I mean, obviously, we both know him to be one of the better players in the Atlantic League last year. And then there's just kind of like, lesser known guys like even an Edwin Arroyo and Aaron Hill those are two guys that fly largely under the radar but yet they're very very talented ball players yet then you tack on the guys that are in affiliated systems that are starting to sign in the in the association like I believe uh, Cousins that's playing in Chicago and then uh, mm-hmm. who was it that just signed in Sioux Falls I know who you're talking about the, the, the names on like the tip of my tongue but I, I, I just can't I just can't get it out yeah, luckily I have the American Association site up, so I'm going to cheat in the middle of the show and look up <laughs> to see uh, who this was. Grant uh, K. Yes. And then Alonzo Harris, too, just recently signed, along with Brandon Compton. So, I mean, there's a lot of talent here this year, by far. Although, again, one of my uh, preseason predictions of this is one of the guys that's going to do really well this year in J.C. Milan. Uh, he just got released, too. So, again, uh, it proves that 
I'm batting maybe 300, and I should be happy about that. I mean, you know what they say if you're uh, if you're make, trying to make predictions like about the weather or something, and you're you're, you're batting 300, uh, it's not not too good. Hey, but it is baseball. I mean, if you bat 300 in baseball, they put you in the Hall of Fame. So I got yeah, that going for point. me. Or, or you could bat 424 like Mikey Reynolds is so far. I guess with that, we'll try to jump in and recap the action of the week. I will say, this week we saw that kind of separation of, okay, these are the top-tier teams and these are the bottom-tier teams. I know last week me and James said the Chicago and Fargo series was the series we were like, okay, whoever wins this series is going to start to separate themselves from the pack. And despite, I believe it was Fargo coming away with that, it's still not much separation. And it just looks like you have Sioux Falls that reaffirmed to me this week, okay, they are the dominant force, and they have just a whole gluttony of talent. I mean, Ale Lago, uh, he just went off this week, know, and just yeah. he raked. I mean, he batted 500 last I counted. Uh, even guys like Mike Hart and Clint Coulter just went out. Damick Tamshay, he also had a great week. Pitching was a bit rough, I will admit that. I mean, I, only what was the guy that had the good start. Uh, everyone else was kind of struggling this week, but even still, the batting's getting them through. Milwaukee took a little bit of a step back, but I'm not really that concerned because they're even in their losses, they still look competitive and they do keep things close. And yeah. then Winnipeg started to get a little bit back to form. Now, granted, they also had Fargo this week, so make of that what you will. But I believe now they're in a tie for first, so that has to be at least acknowledged. I really want I, I want to talk about is when you look at teams like specifically Winnipeg because I, I think I think we both agree Winnipeg's definitely. One of the one of the top teams, probably one of the definitely the one of the championship contenders we're going to be looking for down the stretch. They're going to be playing Fargo more than anyone, considering that they are that they're sharing a stadium this year. And and it, and it makes you wonder as we go down the stretch, what kind of advantage that gives a team like like Winnipeg? You you look like in any level of baseball, specifically like what comes to mind like the american league east this year like in, in the mlb i know mm-hmm. as, as uh since i'm a red sox fan and uh we're playing the orioles right now you gotta beat down on the orioles because the rest of your schedule is is, is madness so you the teams that beat on the on the bad teams the best are the ones that are going to come out on top in the end and i think winnipeg could really benefit by playing fargo moorhead the most this year oh absolutely the schedule is such a key aspect here and that's something that I think it's going to really work against St. Paul. Like right now, I believe they're at 500, if not one game below 500, mm-hmm. but they're going to play playing Sioux Falls an awful lot, which is obviously going to be a very difficult task for them. But even then, Milwaukee doesn't have the roughest schedule either. They have Chicago, which despite having some really nice pieces there, guys like Victor yeah. Roach and among others, they're still not really putting it all together there. Goodness, I know. It's and as, as an Atlantic League guy, first and foremost, looking at the roster of the Chicago Dogs, I was really, really excited for them this year. But a, lo- a lot of the, a lot of the pieces I was expecting a lot out of, like the Tyler Ladendors, the Michael Krauses, the Joe Tardosloviches, they haven't panned out. And to be honest, the saying they haven't panned out might be a little nice. They're they're really, really struggling right now. And and in a sixty game season, like if there was a normal length season, I would be like, you know, the, the the dogs are starting out not so great, but they could probably figure it out. Sixty games, they don't have much time to figure this out. And and I, I, I again, you're right. I think they have talent. There's a lot of talent there, but the, they're not 
even close to putting it all together right now. And if they're if they're going to start putting it together, like I mentioned before, it's going to have to be quick considering it, it's a sprint to the finish. If you've been watching ESPN talking about the M, about the MLB, if I had a quarter for every time that uh, that anyone on Baseball Tonight has said the word sixty game sprint. I'd be rich, and it's the same way in the American Association. So the dogs have to start putting it together now. Luckily, they're only three and a half games out, so they they could go on a run. But the talent's there, and I know I believe they they added um, a really nice bullpen piece this week of Scott Schumann of the uh, the former Lancaster Barnstormers closer, who's been dominant in the Atlantic League for the past, I believe, at least two seasons. They the talent's there, but they got to start putting it together. Absolutely. I mean, we're already at about the one-third mark here. We have about 20 games played, a little bit underneath that at the moment, but it's just been a real struggle. I mean, like you said with Landendorf, really, he's been one of those guys that he's been, he had a good week last week, but it's been sandwiched with two not-so-great weeks. He's batting 160 over the last seven games. Sure, he has a home run, but that only means so much. Michael Krause, I want to go a little bit harder on, but he did get walked seven times despite batting 130. But even still, you're batting 130. The seven walks only make up for so much. Right. So, I mean, it definitely is a struggle there. It's a bit of a rough go from just the batting perspective there. And a guy like Edwin Arroyo, who started off really hot, he's also kind of slowed down a bit. But right. like you like you point out with uh, Showman joining, the bullpen's really their strong suit. I mean, I'm looking at their whole lineup over the last seven right now. And guys like Cousins, Westfold, uh, Schoenwell, Hasselback, these guys are really going really strong. I mean, they've only thrown about two or three innings over the past week, but they have an ERA of zero, which is obviously a, a very big plus there. Now, they're starting pitching, a little bit more touch and go. Uh, Thomas Stormady, a guy that obviously Atlantic League guys will know, and particularly Somerset yep. guys are going to know, he's pitched well over his last two games. But even still, if he's like the only guy you have going for you from a starter's perspective, that's definitely going to wear you down. As opposed to seeing Fargo Moorhead, which has kind of adopted almost an opener role. Yeah, and it's interesting to see how Fargo Moorhead has kind of, you're right, kind of adopted that that opener role, unfortunately. I mean, to try and make up for the lack of starting pitching depth that they do have, obviously it hasn't really worked out to the, really worked out for them so far as their last in Team ERA by a very wide margin at, at, at 5.79, which is obviously not, not going to win you many games in any league. But you're right, as good as the Chicago Dogs uh, bullpen has been specifically another guy like Jamie Callahan, uh, a good flamethrower who I, I know you you'll know as a Mets fan. Yep. Obviously, listen, a, a bullpen is only as good, is only really effective when you have the lead. And if uh, if you're starting pitching, letting you down outside of Thomas Dormany, usefulness isn't isn't uh, isn't all that much. And they got to start putting together. They got to start hitting. They got to start putting putting the pieces together and. And they have talent, but and, and it's surprising to me because I really they, they were one them and Winnipeg were my were my two picks to really make it to the championship series, and they have they haven't panned out to this point. But there's still time. It, it, it's kind of crazy when, when you when you see the dogs at seven and ten, and you're like, oh yeah, they're a third of the way through the season. <laughs> that is wild. It is weird to see that you know the season just moves so quickly. It just keeps bringing up the point of, you know, they have to get everything together. I mean, there are 500 over their last 10. That's something that should be noted, too. 
even still though it you know it's it's an issue there and part of their issue too is you can get away with having bad starting pitching if you have the offense to dig you out of that hole mm-hmm. which we've seen with Sioux Falls to an extent which obviously we'll talk about them in a little bit but they just they're not getting that kind of offensive production and like you mentioned earlier with all the guys that they have from the Atlantic League and just in general you look at the lineup that they had you expect to see more offense out of a team like Definitely. that, but it's just it's just not there. I know it, it's surprising, and, and I still think there's time, but they they got to start putting it together now. Absolutely, going to the actual now last place team at seven and thirteen. As I look at the standings here, about five games back here, you have Fargo Moorhead, and you have to start wondering: Is it time to you know put them on the chopping block? Are they going to have enough time here? I understand it's only five games back, and you do have forty games to play, but even still, with the kind of teams you have in front of you, are you going to be able to find five games over the next forty to get back into the hunt of things? Yeah, and I hate to bring it, keep bringing up schedule again, but again, if they're gonna have if they're gonna start to come back, they got to beat Winnipeg, which is not an easy thing to do. Absolutely not. I mean, Winnipeg's finally starting to find their groove. Last week, they kind of tapered off after a hot start, and now they're seven and three on a three-game winning streak. Now, granted, it's three games against Fargo Moorhead, so factor in as you will kind of makes it hard for me to judge what Winnipeg is. And I'm going to kind of combine Winnipeg and Fargo-Moorhead together here just because they they are kind of intertwined. Like you're saying with the schedule, their success is dependent on each other. As to mm-hmm. if one team's going to fall apart, it's going to have to be the other team that kind of picks up the mantle there. And I'm looking just over the course of the season so far, and really you look at the batters and I just see three guys that are reliable, those being Prime, Pisano, and Hare. Dylan Kelly struggled as of recent, but he's still batting fine. Brandon Metzger, again, he struggled as of recent, but he's starting to come back around. And then after that, we're looking at guys batting under 260, and they're yeah. not even providing that much power. I mean, Christian Abara, to an extent, is getting on base. He's hitting extra base hits. And Drew Ward, he did have a very strong week this week, and you were mentioning his on base a little bit earlier or at least is on base in recent years, he has four home runs, which is nice. But even still, that's not quite enough. It's not only about home runs, it's about getting runs in total home. And that's something yeah. they're not very good at doing. Specifically, I mean, T- Tyler Pike, as far as their, their pitching staff, Tyler Pike's been off to a, to a nice start with them. But, I mean, you're right. that they, they have had... They, they need more guys to step up in their lineup. You mentioned the, the three guys really hitting well for them right now, looking at Hare, Pisano, and uh, Prime. But you, you're right when you say they're not really hitting for, for a ton of power. And when you have guys who really aren't hitting for all that much power and you can't rely on the guys behind them to drive them in, it, it, it's, it, it's tough to succeed. And I think, I think that's what you're seeing right now. And specifically, I, I hate to keep going back to it, but the, the lack of uh, – the lack of pitching depth. Although when I look at one guy that I find particularly intriguing, former major leaguer Braden Hagens is leading the league in strikeouts by a wide, wide margin. Specifically, I believe 14.6 strikeouts per nine in his five total appearances, four starts so far. And as which he probably wishes his ERA was a little lower, but mm-hmm. man, that, he, he's certainly striking out a really high number of guys and definitely impressive. But they need more pitching. They need more run production from the guys outside of those, uh, outside of that big three. 
you're right, time's running out. And again, you don't want to sound the alarm 20 games into a year, it, specifically in baseball when everything is such based on is so based on sample size and it's hard to draw based on like 20 games. It, you can't do that in a 60 game season and Fargo Moorhead's got to got to start picking it up pretty soon if they're going to want to be in any playoff contention. I almost w- kind of want to I'm I'm pretty close to writing them off, I'm not going to lie. I mean, that's the thing, too. Like, you, on one hand, you go, oh, it's only 20 games. They still have 40 games left. But on the other hand, you go, yeah, but we're a third of the way done with the year. And we keep bringing up schedule and we keep bringing up all the other teams ahead of them. They're five back. That's still a game and a half back of Chicago, who we already said, if they don't start hitting, they're going to be in really rough water very quickly. And you have a team that's also not hitting, but doesn't have the same kind of pitching support that Chicago has. Now, they don't have starting pitching, as we just mentioned, but they have at least some bullpen aid. And that's something that doesn't even really exist here in Fargo-Moorhead. I mean, you could look up and down the roster. Really, I look at reliable relievers and I go, okay, there's Jones, there's Osnowitz, and that's about it. There's Helton and Williams that aren't terrible, but Williams has been used as a starter for the most part. And that's about it. Then we're starting to look at Jake Cozart, who has an ERA of almost six, and then guys who are, well, over seven. And at that point, it's like, well, what's the difference between an ERA of 7.3 and 9.3? It's all about the same there. And I do wonder how much of the struggle is chalked up to having an interim manager that comes in about two weeks before the season starts. And I still can't understand why Jim Bennett, who was manager of the year the year prior, brought them to an amazing season, I believe it was about 60 wins, and came only about two wins away from going to a championship series, got fired, or got replaced at least. I, just, yeah. I don't understand that, unless it has something to do with the COVID or availability or something like that, but I would assume then we would have gotten a different announcement from an outright replacement. Right. I mean, because th- didn't didn't he say something like, don't, don't make any mistake about it. Like I, I was I was forced out. Like it's not like he wanted to leave or wanted to step down or anything like that. I mean, it, you're right. It, it was it was bizarre. I, I was stunned to see it after the success he's had in the past is quite a bizarre move. And, and you're right. With, with so much roster turnover in indie ball. There's not always a ton of success you can pin on the, the leadership and the, the manager and stuff like that. But, I mean, when you put in an interim manager two weeks before the year, I mean, listen, I'm not a professional baseball player. I don't know what kind of effect that that has, but you have to kind of guess that it could have some sort of an effect. I don't know. It it didn't make much sense to make the the change they did in the first place. And I I, I don't know. I mean, it, it could have an effect. It could not have an effect. But it, it, it certainly doesn't help, and it certainly appears to not not be helping their performance at this point. Yeah, like the only thing I could think of as far as a major effect with it is that manager does put together a roster. And I mean, when you have one guy leading the ship throughout the whole offseason and the, the first month of what should have been the normal season under regular conditions, putting together the roster he wants, and then you sub in a different guy with a roster he didn't get to pick and only two weeks to get guys that kind of fit the way he wants to play it definitely does become an issue. And granted, Costi uh, was there for a while, or Cost was there for some time. He's been a bench manager, I believe, for two or three years now, so it's not like it's totally foreign to him. But even mm. still, you have a guy that hasn't 
managed professor, professional baseball come in on short notice and just kind of try to pick it up on the fly. There's going to be a learning curve there. And again, he doesn't have a chance to really get his guys in there. And I know in the past we've talked about a lot on the show, the the way you have to have a system in, in place for guys to go after and go, okay, we want to play this particular way. And I know mm-hmm. when I talked to Billy Horn, he was saying, look, we don't really pay that much attention to the analytics. It's about just scoring runs and what can you do for me this week? We don't really care about, you know, your exit velo. We care about, are you bringing in runs? And mm-hmm. when you apply that approach to indie ball, you have to go, okay, is this kind of mentality thing a lot more important than it would be in affiliated ball or major league baseball where it's okay well we're going to look at the numbers and the numbers are going to tell us what we need to know as opposed to an indie ball where it's like okay this is the system we're going to implement and we're going to have to find guys that can kind of fit inside inside the lines here yeah that's a really good point that you bring up how much power a manager has within an indie ball organization as far as putting together the roster like you talk about in affiliated ball even even at the major league level, I mean, the GM's the one putting together the roster. Obviously, the manager has some input, but at the end of the day, it's the GM making the call. It's not really so much that way in indie ball, and that that's again, that's what makes the move so puzzling. And you kind of wonder what went about that, like behind closed doors. It, it, it's so bizarre that you can't that you can't really justify it by just logical thinking. So you have to wonder, like. I don't know. Did anything go on behind closed doors that you heard of over there? Nothing that I've heard of. Like, I haven't heard anything from any of the players or anything of that sort. So it really is mind-boggling to me that this decision was made. Plus, I would have thought that if there was an issue, you would have gotten rid of him earlier in the offseason. So that way you wouldn't have had to just kind of put a stopgap in there. And it, it just is a bit odd. Either way, though, what I'm thinking, like, just kind of long term in regards to Jim Bennett is he's one of the guys that I really could think uh, when we finally get an official announcement on Gastonia, and we're going to mention that uh, towards the end part of the show, because there's all sorts of teasing for an announcement coming with that, that once we get a formal announcement about an ALPB club there, that Jim Bennett's got to be a name on the list that you at least look at. I mean, he's had success clearly, and now he's clearly still wanting to coach and if he's an yeah. option, I mean, it's not a bad fit. Absolutely. I, I think it's a great fit, to be honest with you. And, and I think with a new organization, you would have to think, and you bring in a guy who's had success in the indie ball ranks like Jim Bennett, and you bring him in with presumably an organization and a front office that's really new to the indie ball scene. You bring in a guy like Bennett, run the show roster-wise, I think that could be a great fit. Now, I'm not sure exactly... The, the guys they're looking at or if they've even started to look at potential managers yet but you bring that up I, I think that's that could be a potential great fit and like you said he it definitely seems like he still wants to manage I think Gastonia could be a great spot for him I think that could be um, a guy that Gastonia really looks at and says they he brings a lot of prior success in the indie ball world to the table a lot of experience. And I think that's the type of guy you want running it, running a new organization. Specifically, you look at the success that the High Point Rockers had in year one with a guy like Jamie Keith. You bring in a guy who's had a ton of success in the Can-Am League, who knows how to run an indie ball team, because it's not it's not like running so many other organiz- professional organizations 
in baseball, bring in a guy like Billy Horn as well. You bring in a big name like Frank Viola to be your pitching coach, and you see the success that they had in year one. You have to think that Gastonia wants to go a, a, a similar route, you would think, right? Absolutely, and High Point was something I had in mind for that roster structure because Jamie Keefe had a lot of success in Rockland, which, quite frankly, they just felt like a different type of organization. They didn't feel like a Can-Am organization. They still don't really feel like a frontier league organization they've always had this kind of atlantic league feel to it and mm -hmm. i had to contribute a lot of that to jamie keith and the way he runs the show down there mm -hmm. and clearly that's transferred to high point and then obviously uh, billy horn who we both have talked to a good bit and just oh, he yeah. couldn't be a nicer guy and he's clearly very good at his job too yeah incredible and, and i mean unfortunately i didn't get a chance to really dive into the rosters with all the, with the pandemic. But I, I know me and you are both on the same page. High point was stacked this year. The, the, the roster that Jamie Keefe and Billy Horn were, were going to bring to high point this year. I mean, championship contender might not even describe it. I think championship favorite is the only way you could, you could really describe that high point rockers roster. And I know me and Billy have talked about it. Uh, in private that we're really we're both really really disappointed we didn't get to see that that team in action because man that that team was really stacked they they really were they, everything about that team was like okay former triple a guy former major league guy had an explosive year last year pitching wise there was no real weak spot they kept bringing back guys and I, if i remember right when i released like this was supposed to be opening day for indie ball here's my top 20 teams high point yep. was number one and it was yep. no mistake about it. Just there was such a good team. And kind of in the flip side there, I had New Jersey the same way in the Frontier League where it's like, look, they're just mm -hmm. kind of stacked. Like, sure, there's a handful of teams that if everything goes right for them, they'll be tough for New Jersey, no doubt. But even if things go wrong, they should still be number one. High Point was the same way. I was like, okay, well, if Somerset's pitching works out and they don't, you know, hit like 180 as a team and they actually managed to bat like 260, then there'll be a problem. Sugarland yeah. is a lot of pieces there. Maybe they could put that together. Okay, there may be a problem, but that's not really an issue until you reach, you know, the finals, which at that point, you know, it's a dice roll anyway. And you'd look, okay, well, Long Island, well, maybe they're defending champions. You can't write them off. Plus, they always have a good team. And then, well, it's the Road Warriors. So, I mean, they that kind of speaks yeah. for itself there. But even still, I was like, yeah, no, but... That's for things going right for those teams. Even if things go wrong for High Point, they should still be number one. It'll just be a little bit tougher for them. Right. And I mean, and not to get too off topic here, but now you see the success that High Point has had and the success they presumably probably were going to have this season, bringing in a guy like, like Jamie Keefe, who's had a success in other indie ball ranks. I think it could be a great opportunity for Gastonia to bring in a guy like Bennett to, to run the show there and could really put them on the map right away. Absolutely. And to get us back on track, we're going to talk about a guy that was supposed to be a rocker this year. And now it's actually in St. Paul and Mikey Reynolds, who is just having a, an out of this world year. And over the yeah. past week, he nearly batted 500. He's just been on a torn pace, and it's not even like it's a, a small sample size comparatively to the rest of the league. He's had 16 games in, and he's still batting 424 on the season. Yeah. And it's, it's, I don't know what's gotten into him. He was batting 275 I mean, for last year, and now he's just kind of stepped his game up to a whole nother level this year. Now, obviously, I don't think this is going to be a sustainable pace, but even still, it's just been a tremendous 
tremendous couple of weeks for him. Yeah, of course he's not going to keep like this pace up. I don't think I don't think anyone can. But I mean, you mentioned it. It, it kind of came out of nowhere. I mean, Mikey Reynolds is a good player. Make no mistake about it. And he had success with the Sussex County Miners of the Can-Am League last year, like you mentioned. But what in his 18 games with the Kansas City T-Bones in the American Association, he did struggle a little bit, hitting only 211. So, I mean, I thought I thought there was a pretty good chance that he would do well with St. Paul, but n- not this well. He'll 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 probably come back down to earth a little bit, but the real promising start for for a guy who um who, who's had success in other indie ball leagues. So, I'm mean, really good for him. I mean, he's a great guy. You mentioned he was supposed to be in High Point this year, so you got to wonder what uh what Jamie Keith, Billy Horn, and company saw in him that maybe they could have, they kind of predicted this sort of this sort of breakout this year. Unfortunately, didn't get to happen in High Point, but we're seeing we're seeing it in St. Paul. So it's it, it's interesting, and he he's off to an outstanding, outstanding, outstanding start. And it'll be interesting to see if he can keep it up. Yeah, and really the whole St. Paul batting lineup is really just doing tremendous here, which is kind of surprising. I mentioned earlier that J.C. Milan got cut. But he was bad in 280 on the year. Like, I get mm-hmm. it, he wasn't doing that great over the last week or so, but even still, 280 on the year seems a lot better than a guy like Nate Sampson, who, granted, he has more prestige in the American Association, but there's only about a seven at bat difference between the two of them, and Sampson's batting 140, so I'm not really sure why you'd pick him over Milan, but regardless of that fact, they still have. Uh, Chesney Young, he's batting 375. Troy Alexander, he's batting 368. Chris yeah. Chenea, 355. Mike Gelfi, 316. Josh Allen, 300. Justin Bird, just under 300. A really deep lineup. A yeah. re- really, really deep lineup there. Yeah, and, th- and I know RBIs aren't the best stat in the world because they are very misleading. But even right. still, it does show that you're able to drive guys in and it does tell you a lot when you have multiple guys that are in double digits at this point in the year for RBIs. I mean, you have Young at 14, you have Chenea at 18, you have Allen at 11, you have Silviano at 12, you have a couple other guys that are creeping up, Gelfie at 8, and then Alexander at 7, and Reynolds at 6. So you have guys creeping up there. So just collectively as a team stat, it does tell you they're driving runs in. And that is that has been their saving grace, and that's what's kept them around 500 at this point. I believe they they didn't get off to uh to such a great start, and I, I know I hate to keep bringing up the schedule, but they they do have a challenge ahead of them playing uh, a really really good team like the Sioux Falls Canaries as many times as they they will have to down the stretch. But like you mentioned, going through their lineup, it's it's such a deep lineup. Obviously, at the top with Mikey Reynolds, and, and you have guys like Chris Chenea. It's a really, really deep lineup, and there's not an easy out in that lineup. There's not many options to pitch around because you have a guy coming in behind who's just as talented, if not better. I, I think they'll continue to win. I think there's they're one of the most talented teams in the American Association. I, I think I think the nine and ten record at this point is probably is probably a little misleading. I think they're a little better than their record shows at this point. And I, I think they'll start those wins will start to pile up as we head into as we head into the second third of the year. If it plus not to mention they just added Alonzo Harris too, who hasn't gotten too much time in a Saints uniform, but I have to imagine once he starts getting more at bats he'll 
also join the barrage there. But really where I do get a little concerned is then when you flip over to their pitching. And yeah. that's when it gets a little hairy. I mean, Mike Devine's been decent. He's had a very good start last week that got him pitcher of the week. And he also had another good start this past week as well. And then there's Ryan Zimmerman, who hasn't been too bad either. Uh, Matt Sultar, he's been pretty okay. I mean, he's an ERA around four, which I suppose is about average. But from yeah. there, it gets kind of rough. I mean, Matt Quintana, I really want to like Quintana, but an ERA of just under seven. And then there's Eddie yeah. Medina, who... ERA of just about eight. So that's obviously going to be really rough there. Brian Glowicki hasn't been too good coming out of the pen in 10 innings. He's given up eight earned runs. So that's not exactly great. There's a, there's a case to be made for a lot of guys like that. Andrew Brown, yeah. I know they just signed, I believe it's Andrew Brown. They just signed. He has an ERA of zero. And then Valdez is pitching very well too, or alongside Belzer. Uh, they've been solid out of the pen, but even still, it's a bit touch and go. And Jamison McCrane also hasn't been his usual self, although granted that stat line's a little misleading. Yeah. I mean, I'll tell you what, I mean, J- Jamison McGrain, I, I think he's done a pretty nice job as, as the, the Saints closer so far. Like you mentioned, they, they need, um, they need a better bridge to him in general in that bullpen. I think that's, I think you're right. I think that's what's, in general, and starting pitching as well as with, with what's kind of holding them down to this point, such a great offense as well. I, I think. I mean, I mean, look, they're they're hitting three hundred as a team. Like my goodness, as as a team to hit three hundred, that 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 really just says it all right there. I think, you know, you mentioned a guy like Matt Quintana and a guy that you you want to like. I think I think he's a good rebound candidate. I think they're. I think. The, the pitching staff in general has a good amount of talent and I, I don't think they've pitched up to expectations so far, but I think as we start to go deeper into the season, I think they can start to rebound. I think they can start to turn it around. I, I really believe in the Saints team. I really think they're, they're, they're talented across the board and I don't, I don't think the numbers show it right now, but I, I, I think they can, they, they have potential to really turn it on here as uh, in the next, within the next couple of weeks. Yeah, I'm not writing them off yet. They're in that kind of weird middle zone. They're really the only team I put there. I kind of have Chicago and Fargo-Moorhead kind of on the outskirts. Either they're on the block or they're about to be. Then I have Milwaukee and Winnipeg and Sioux Falls and that kind of next level where it's like, okay, these are the definite contenders here. And Sioux Falls is in that weird gray area. Or not Sioux Falls, St. Paul is in that weird gray area where you need to see a little bit more out of them. And I know McCrane on Thursday night, I believe it was, for some reason he was left in to pitch and he threw about 50 pitches, which I thought was a wee bit too much for him. I understand wanting him to finish the ninth inning, but you already asked him to try and get an extended save there for a guy that's kind of used to, okay, one inning and out. You kind of saw it coming. It's like, okay, how much does this guy have left? And then after the double, it should have been the sign to go get him. But regardless of that fact, it's... It does scream a lot of potential because there are areas where, like, I look at the team, they do walk a lot of batters, too. I mean, 55 walks at this point, and really, there's only one guy that hasn't uh, really gotten bit by the walk bug, to be quite honest. So there's a chance for that to go down, and plus, if they just get a couple of better breaks. But uh, like you mentioned with the schedule, having Sioux Falls a lot doesn't really help the case much, either. It doesn't. Yeah, you're right. I mean, shifting over to, to Sioux Falls a little bit, I know, I know they've dropped their last two, but um, I mean, the, their their offense from from top to bottom is really 
really performing well. I mean, you start at the top, you have a guy like Jabari Henry, who's who's showed his ability to hit uh, American Association pitching in the past. I believe back in, I, w- I want to say 2017, he had, I, I think, almost 30 homers uh, with, with Sioux Falls, and then he started to bounce around a little bit. He got his sitting in the Atlantic League, too, with, with Sugarland. But he, he's been off to a, to a nice start this year, four home runs as well. 2017 was the year I'm thinking about. 2017 was Sioux Falls. He had uh, mm-hmm. hit 302 with 29 homers and 72 runs batted in. Uh, OPS over 1,000. I mean, I remember when I was when I was writing him up when he when Sugarland signed him last year. I kept waiting for him to get back to that 2017 form, and I think he's starting to get back to it now. 2020 back with Sioux Falls, and, and that's exciting. That's exciting for me to watch, and and I think that's really helped propel this Sioux Falls team to where they are in first place in the standings. Oh, absolutely. Plus, then you have guys like the more brand name guys, I suppose, with Lago and Tom Shea who are just kind of pushing their will on. I mean, Lago's getting on base. He's hitting for average. He's not really drawn that many walks. He has six, so I suppose it's not really that few either. But he's finding ways to get on base. And same thing with Tom Shea, too. And then the guy that's kind of slid under the radar is Landon. Logan Landon has been kind of quietly really solid. He's batting about 300. He has three home runs. He's getting on base. He scored eight runs in total. He's really kind of quietly putting together a nice supplemental season to a lot of the guys that are on this team, which, quite frankly, you have the potential in in Henry. You know what you have in Lago and Tom Shea. Yeah. You just need guys like Ely and Coulter and Hart and really the whole crew here just to be supplemental. As long as everybody can get a piece, you're set. And I mean, yeah. a guy like yeah, I'm looking at this team right now, and as far as the season goes, with the exception of Ryan Long and Casey Huff, there's not really a bad batter here. Everyone's above 260, which, yeah. to be quite honest, if you're batting 260, it really isn't that bad. It's not bad at all. It's average, sure, but I I can't find any faults here. And with Huff. He makes up for a poor bat with a great glove in the outfield, and with the rest of the lineup, you can sacrifice one bat easily. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I mean, it's it's a very interesting to watch. Yeah, you you bring you bring up uh, Demick Tomsha. I mean, he he's one of those guys that I, when I was starting to mention at the beginning of the show that you, you kind of look at them and you and you watch them play in the American Association, you're kind of like, how are they how are they in indie ball right now, or how are they not in like a how are they not in an MLB pool like at an old at a taxi squad site right now? And he's one of those guys. I mean, you look specifically at his numbers in Double A last year in the White Sox organization, and pretty good, hitting two sixty nine, well with four home runs in forty two games with a set, about an average OPS as well. And I I remember even watching him play in uh, Lehigh Valley, the uh, Phillies Triple A affiliate last year. He's one of those guys that I, I, I when I was looking through uh, the American Association rosters to start the year, and I see the name D- Damick Tomsho in, in the uh, under the Sioux Falls Canaries, I'm like, really? He, he's he's playing indie ball. What, what's he doing here? And you're right, the the Sioux, the Sioux Falls lineup has, has been terrific so far, and it's re- it's really propelled them to first place at this point. You mentioned there's not really an an easy out in that whole lineup. You pitch around one guy. You have a guy coming right behind, ready to drive him, ready to drive runners in. 
it's a good team, and I, I think they're I think they're definitely for real. Oh yeah, I mean like that's the thing too. They can beat you multiple ways. There's guys on this team where they could just punch you in the mouth, and they'll hit two home runs in a game, and then they'll beat you six to two easily. But they could just as easily go, okay, no home runs today, just a couple of doubles, and then beat you four to one. And that's the thing. Right. Or if you want to get into a slugfest, they could beat you 14 to 13. It makes no difference there, which seems to be more their MO. Because if we look at the pitching here, collectively a team ERA of basically 5, 499. So price is right rules apply here. But it that's where I do get a little hung up on them. I don't really see any great A starter. I know Jake Zokan had a good start tonight. And Grady Wood had an okay or had a good start last week. And then my guy, Ty Colbreth, he's been kind of okay. So those guys have been doing pretty good. But then uh, Heron, or Heron has been a little bit disappointing. Sam Bragg hasn't been exactly what you need. And then as far as bullpen guys are concerned, Shirabi's good. Keaton Steele's been getting a, certainly a good workload. He's basically pitching an inning every game. Right. But but even still, he's been all, he's been pretty good. Fritz has been okay. But then you got look at other guys like uh, Nico Blank. He isn't really getting too many outings, just generally speaking. Fullman, he's been he's been a guy. Hayer's been all guy. yeah yeah. I mean Hayer's in the same boat there. And then until Freeze got released today, uh, you know he was kind of the same boat. And then uh, Solomon hasn't been very good at all. Just I mean eight in. Eight yeah. earned runs in five and a third innings. That's not exactly what you're looking for there. Granted, small sample size, but still, uh, bullpen is an issue in my mind. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's funny you look at you look at all these teams, and uh, everyone's kind of squished together. Specifically, the top three. If you want to loop uh, loop in St. Paul, the top four, they they have their strengths, but specifically on the pitching side, you you start to worry a little bit. Part of that, I mean, obviously, I'm again, I'm not a professional player, and when you have a spring training that's so short, that's only like a week or so. Not that indie ball players aren't used to short spring trainings. It almost makes you wonder how um, how long it takes them to really get into their into their mid season form. I, I mean, honestly, what, what do you think about that? Yeah, I think it certainly is a factor. However, with a lot of these guys too. They're kind of used to just kind of walking in, no real warm up or anything getting involved there. I think what's harder on them is just the way that their normal off season would go got disrupted greatly by the pandemic. And I think that's really where the struggle is because a lot of these guys, you know, they're used to having the routine. They're used to working out the same way. They're used to having their winter ball. Then they come back to the stateside. They still have a routine and then they have about a week longer of spring training normally or, you know, they play affiliated ball until they get cut or whatever it may be. So I think that definitely does have an impact on it. But I also think it's just you have a higher quality of hitter. I mean, you That's look at some point. of the guys that are there and you go, okay, the hitting game's certainly been stepped up a notch. So where you would have had an average American Association pitcher before, now looks like a subpar indie ball pitcher or yeah, American Association point. pitcher. Yeah. So yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a good point. That's and specifically, you look at some of the affiliated guys who are now getting a chance to play in the American Association. Obviously, when MLB teams are looking at how how many guys they want to keep in their pool, definitely want to keep a lot more good pitchers or high potential pitchers that at their alternate site a lot more than position players per se. So I, I think you're right when you say that 
specifically on the offensive side, the the talent bar has really been raised in the American Association this year, and and I think the pitching on, on all sides has, has suffered a little bit because of it. Mm. One team, though, that really hasn't, at least looking at them so far, Winnipeg's managed to hold their own. Like, right. you look at them, and you have guys like Gorman, who's pitched well, Hilton, who's just on an unbelievable pace, and then guys like Jose Jose, who's just finally gotten back into the swing. Still, he's pitched well. Kent Hasler, a guy I really like coming into the season, pitched very well. Then, obviously, you have guys like Frank Duncan, Nate Antone, and other guys like that. But I know Hilton was a guy that you wanted to talk about. Yeah, I know. Sp- specifically with, with Kevin Hilton, it, it's interesting to me because he really, really surprised me as far as his as his performance this year. And you look at, obviously, everything's going to be in such a small sample size this year. And no, make no mistake about it, he, he's been in, he's been in, insanely good this season with a 176 ERA leading the league. You look at his performance in recent years in the American Association, and it really hasn't been really anywhere close to up to par with this season, specifically last year with the Texas Air Hogs. And Winnipeg Gold Eyes. He has a uh, he went five and ten with a four forty ERA. And back in twenty seventeen with the Texas Airhawks, he had a four ninety three ERA in thirty four and two thirds innings. So to me, when when I look at a guy like that, he, he's in uh, in his fifteen and a third innings so far. He's actually given up no home runs, which is I mean great for him. But it's kind of hard to see a guy like him. Um, uh, stay on this pace and I think when we were talking about it before the show he was he started off really really good and then past couple starts he's still been good but he started taper off a little bit and specifically he's only given up three earned runs in his 15 and a third innings but he's given up 17 hits which kind of tells me that that he's given up his fair share of hits Pretty much in line with his career numbers. I mean, he gave up 9.8 hits per nine last year compared to 10 flat this year. He's getting out of a lot of jams, which is great in, in, in the moment. But you'd have to think that that starts to turn a little bit. And I, I don't, I don't think you'll see him really on the uh, on the ERA leaderboard come come near the end of the season. And if he did, it would, it would definitely be a surprise to me. For him, it looks like it really depends on who he starts with. Like, he's had two starts against Sioux Falls, which both went well, but those were the kind of more rocky starts. Those are where, you know, the team's starting to hit him very well, which, to be fair, there's no shame in that. I mean, Sioux Falls is probably the best hitting team in this league, if not at St. Paul, but even still, an extremely strong team from that aspect. But where he really starts to get really strong numbers is against Fargo-Moorhead, which have been yeah. his first start of the year and his latest start, which when you factor in, you know, his more recent starts, he's up to 21 hits in total. But regardless of that, it's still very interesting when you watch him because it seems like the way he's being managed at this point is about 20 batters. And this is something I pointed out before we went on today. He, he's good for five innings, it appears. Which in yeah. past years they pushed him further than that. It seems like they tried to get it between like six to eight innings out of him, generally speaking, ballparking that number. But yeah. now he's he's facing less guys. So I assume it's just kind of one of those deals where it's almost like Holmberg from last year in the Atlantic League, where 
You said, okay, he's good for four, maybe five innings. Don't let him go into the sixth because that's where he starts to get into trouble. I almost wonder if the same rules are in effect here for Hilton, where it's like, okay, don't let him go into the sixth or the seventh. That's where the issues are going to start to form. Take him after five. Let's get a, let's get a, in front of the issue. I wonder if it's almost one of those things. Yeah, that's a good point. And, and I know when you're this whole idea, because I'm really into um, the the analytics side of baseball, you have certain starters. You, obviously, on the MLB level, you have your starters like your Aces, your DeGroms, your Scherzers, your Garrett Coles, who they can face the, the lineup as many times through as they want. They're just that elite. But you have guys, uh, your number three, your number three, your number four, your number five starters. It's interesting because you, you really don't want to let them face the order three times. And it kind of seems like that's what manager Rick Forney is kind of, listen, he's been a really good manager uh, for the gold eyes. It seems like he definitely knows what he's doing. And it's interesting to me. You're right. He's, he's averaged right around 15, uh, excuse me. Uh, he's averaged right around five innings per start. So it kind of seems that Forney kind of knows all right, once he gets through the order twice, they're going to make an adjustment to him his third time around. Specifically, he doesn't really strike out a ton of guys. He knows that hitters in the American Association will make an adjustment against him the third time and fourth time through the order, as they kind of have in the past. I think it's actually really smart managing to kind of keep them off balance the first two times through the order and then get him out of there. And he's had a lot of success with that kind of strategy so far. Absolutely, and that's definitely something that I think he's looking into, because like you said, he's a great manager, and he's has proven success in Winnipeg. That's why he's been there for seemingly forever. Um, just kind of shifting attention to the bullpen real quick, uh, Victor Campion has been very well, and now I believe he has taken over sole possession of second place all-time in saves for the American Association, so maybe he hits first all-time this season. If not, he decides to come back next year. It will certainly be his record if he wants it. But he's a guy that yeah. needs to be acknowledged. Jose Jose is going to add such a good arm to that bullpen because he's just been, he's like the ideal setup man. He just, right. he doesn't allow that many hits. He strikes guys out. He gets base runners out. That's just kind of what he does. But the guy right. I really am looking at is Kent Hasler. ERA below one. He's pitched about 10 innings and he struck 15 out. He's yeah. he's doing a great job, and that that's a guy who's really taken that kind of next step. He's upped his game with the competition, and honestly, I think he's part of the reason you see Winnipeg making this huge play for first. Right. Yeah. I mean, we talk about other teams and sort sort of their uh, bullpen issues. That's not the case with Winnipeg. They have a really really strong back three. In, of their bullpen, of course, with Capion, he's been a been a really elite closer in the American Association, specifically with Winnipeg for a long time. And I know he got his uh, spit in the Atlantic League last year with York and real and kept the success going there. He was he was just as good. He's really just a, a terrific pitcher. And you mentioned Jose Jose. Obviously, he had a ton of success in the Can Am League specifically. He's the perfect the perfect setup man for an elite closer like Capion. This, this is a bullpen down the stretch. I think will really continue to fare well. I I think the Winnipeg Gold Eyes are the best team in the American Association. I, I've kind of I felt that way at the beginning, and I know they they like you mentioned earlier they started off hot, they kind of tanked a little bit, and then they're starting to pick it up once again, winning their last their last three games. 
I think they're the best team in, in the American Association. And I think the, the back end of that bullpen is a big part of it. Absolutely. That, that bullpen is something that, really the whole pitching staff is something that coming into the season, I was like, this is going to be their strong suit. Don't sleep on the bats, but this is where it's going to be. And then obviously they released a lot of the guys I was hyping up, but even still they lived up. And I've been kind of wavering back and forth on them. But what I really need to see from them is I want to see them play some really difficult competition. They've obviously beaten down on Fargo-Moorhead, and we've said our piece on them. But I want to see what they can do when they have to play St. Paul consistently, when they have to play Sioux Falls consistently. If you can beat that kind of upper-level talent, then I can really start to go, they're the best team. But I have a harder time saying, okay, they're the best team when they're beating up on bad teams. It's almost, I see what you mean. Yeah, it's almost like when you have to rank college from a non-Power 5 school. You you start to question, okay, how much of this is they're a really good team and how much of it is they're just better than the teams in the non-Power Conference? Like, do you rank a team like, I'm just going to pull one out for basketball here and say like, I don't know, like Sacred Heart or a Rider or something like that, where it's like, okay, you're not playing in the most prestigious conference here, but if you win 20 games in a row, you're like, well, they did win 20 games. Yeah. But do they deserve to be ranked over a team that plays in like the ACC and is like two games above 500? That's the real question here. And I'm in that kind of same mindset with Winnipeg. Yeah, you're, you're right. They definitely have the benefit uh, of an easier schedule than most. I mean, you look at this upcoming week, they're going to head to Impact Field for, for three games during the week and play the Chicago Dogs. Who we, I mean, we've said our piece on them. I'm not going to go over them again. But, hey, next weekend they have a big, big series uh, at, at home against the – or home in air quotes yeah. uh, against, against the St. Paul Saints. That's going to be a fascinating series to watch. I'm really, really excited for that one for them because, I mean, I, I see what you mean as far as the idea that you want to you want to see them beat better competition. And, and, and I see and, – and I agree with that. I think the St. Paul Saints series this weekend is going to be a big test for them, and it's going to be a great series to watch, I think. Absolutely. And so uh, we're running a little long on the American Association talk, but I do want to get to Milwaukee at least a little quick here. And just there's one guy in particular I really want to point out to, so I'm going to kind of just jump ahead to the pitching aspect, and that's Peyton Gray. Peyton Gray has been really underrated. An ERA of zero, keep that in mind, and somehow he's still underrated. A batting average against of only 111. Like that, that is really, really solid out of him. I mean, yeah. and, and he's striking out 14 guys in nine innings of work. Only three hits allowed. Allowed in total seven base runners. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. I mean, oh my goodness. Yeah, he is the 3.2 hits per nine. Zero, no home runs given up, not walking guys. Yeah, you're right. He's been he's been an unsung, real unsung hero uh, for, for the Milwaukee Milkmen so far. And then you look at the rotation. I mean, D- David Holmberg has, has been outstanding so far for the for the Milwaukee Milkmen, and as well as Ventura has been pretty solid as well for them. They're they're pitching. Their pitching's not the problem. That that's for sure. But their their offense. Their offense definitely has to get it going. David Washington's been pretty good so far, but the rest of their offense has to get has to get it going. And if they can get it going, the, the they could they could be a really interesting team to watch down the stretch. Absolutely, them. Uh, Adam Brett Walker is like a definition of a power hitter too. Four home runs, but twenty seven strikeouts in seventy two yes. at bats. So that's not exactly great there either. But then 
there are guys there. Uh, Vertigan's a guy who's getting on base. Now, he's not coming around to score often. I mean, he's got 24 hits, 10 runs scored. Chase Simpson's not had much time in the lineup. I believe he got hurt earlier this year, so that would factor that in. Dylan Tice is continuing to do what Dylan Tice does, which is about around 280 to 300. Hit a couple home runs and drive in runs. That's kind of what he does. He walks a lot too. Uh, Logan yeah. Trowbridge has been real on and off. When he's on, he's going to go two for three or three for four. When he's off, he's going to go over with a strikeout. Then there's guys like Aaron Hill, who again, they go through really hot periods and then they cool off. Then they go through really hot periods and then they cool off. So I yeah. think it's a really a consistency issue because, I mean, David Washington was a guy last week I called him out. And then this week he goes ahead and he bats 300 and hits three home runs. Yeah. So, I mean, I take that as he heard the show and he got annoyed and he channeled that and that bursted him forward into the success he had this week. It's the only logical explanation. That has to be. Exactly. I mean, I know I'm, I know this show is that influential. <laughs> I know. But, you know, Milwaukee's a team which I'm going to be really interested to see. And again, they're in the case of, I think they've had a lot of Chicago games, so that certainly helps them. They've had kind of up and down, back and forth with the, the Sioux Falls and the St. Paul series. So realistically, in my mind, I think between St. Paul, Winnipeg, and uh, Milwaukee, whichever one of them manages to obviously win the games you need to win against those kind of lower teams, but starts to win games against each other, and most more importantly, take games from Sioux Falls is the team I start to think, okay, they are going to really make a run at this and really challenge Sioux Falls. Because right now, in my mind, the numbers and everything speak for themselves. If Sioux Falls can just start to straighten out the pitching a bit, I can't go against them just because of the bats. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I like Sioux Falls a lot, I think. You know how I feel about Winnipeg. I hate to keep going back to this, but it keeps bugging me in my mind. How are the Chicago Dogs not better? On paper, they, they look so strong coming into the year. I just don't understand how, how they're not better. They're, they've just, they've been disappointing. There's no other way to say it. I mean, I, I haven't talked to any Dogs fans or anything like that, but I have to feel that they're really disappointed of how this season's gone, despite the fact of all the big names that, that, and the Atlantic League guys specifically they've had on their roster. It's because of the rally pickle. They need more rally pickle. To be honest, I hate to come across as an Atlantic League homer because I really wanted to see them. Uh, I mean, I really wanted to, to be see fair, them do well. Your build as AOPB News, that bias was disclosed very early on. If people don't like that, I mean, it was well advertised. I don't know what to say at that point. That's a good. I mean, I tried not. I mean, talking American Association baseball, I don't want to bring my Atlantic League bias too much into it. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's going to happen one way or the other. I know. All right. So. We'll just wrap up all the American Association talk really quick with uh, just a player and pitcher of the week. Uh, I know I asked you to do the show on short notice. So I'm not sure if you have a guy. Or I not. do. Okay. I do. Yeah. All right. So my, my player of the week. Uh, my player of the week is Drew Ward from from Fargo Moorhead. Uh, he had a, he he had an awesome week. He hit 357 this week with a OPS of uh, 1134. I mean, uh, obviously not a lot of bright spots in Fargo-Moorhead right now, but he is certainly one of them. And for my pitcher of the week, I think you mentioned earlier that uh, he was yours as well. It was yours, Mike De- Mike Devine, as well? Mine was not. No, he was the official guy of the week. Oh, okay. Yeah, I didn't even see who was the official guy of the week. But, yeah, my, my pitcher of the week is Mike Devine. In 13, in his two starts this week, 
in 13 and two-thirds innings. He only allowed one earned run and struck out 16. So definitely a great week for him. So Drew Ward and, and Mike Devine are my two picks for the week. Both good picks. So for me, I went Alay Longo for my player of the week. Uh, my numbers yeah. are from, I believe, before Thursday's games got factored into this. So they may be a little off here, but generally speaking, they'll be roughly the same. Lago hit 500. I mean, you hit 500 in my book. That immediately puts you up at top, towards the top of the list. OPS was over a thousand too. So I have a hard time kind of denying him there. 14 hits in total, uh, four doubles, eight runs scored. Uh, both counting stats, and well, really they're all counting stats when you get down to it. Some of them are just in percentages. But even still, the numbers there for me work out where I put Lago kind of at the top plus. He was a large factor for Sioux Falls getting to where they have been this year. I know that's kind of not fair to factor in before this week, what he's meant, but it kind of did factor in there. And then for pitcher of the week, I went with Frank Duncan. Uh, seven innings, five hits, no runs, six Ks, one walk, and he got the win. Great bounce back from a not-so-stellar start, I believe either one start or two starts ago. Uh, he answers back with a dominating start, proves that he's still that guy and can be the guy in Winnipeg. Goodness, you, you wonder if he didn't have that, that rough outing, how, how good his stats would be looking now, you know? Oh, they would be, they'd be utterly dominant. There's he, no way around stud. that. I, I literally have to tune in every, every time for, uh, Frank Duncan's on the mound because it's a show. I love watching him pitch, to, to be honest. I mean, you, you I have to credit you because you're the one who kind of turned me on to him and kept, and kept talking to me about Frank Duncan and how much he, and how much of a stud he is. And then I watched him, um, I forget if it was the first or second game of the season. It, it was one of those two. Mm. I'm like, wow, this guy, this guy's a stud. And so I, I have to tune in every time, uh, every time he's pitching for Winnipeg. And I, and I wish his stats reflected. I, I don't, I still don't think they've reflected how good he's actually pitched this year, in my opinion. That's the thing. Like watching him in Sussex County last year in a league that had a lot of really good hitters, he just was mowing guys down. He threw a no-hitter, yeah. although put an asterisk on that. Marte beat him to the back on the one. I have the photo proof on that one. <laughs> I have this. I've posted it. You can check our Twitter, uh, Indie Ball Pod on Twitter. He beat him by a half a step, but he still Did beat he? him to the back. Yeah, if you look it up, the ball's just in front of the mitt. It's not in yet, and you can see Marte's foot is coming down on the bag. Ugh. Yeah, it's very close, and I can understand how uh, first base up would miss that. But he was safe. Now, granted, still, that doesn't take away from the tremendous performance it was. But regardless, uh, still, he was just so dominant. He was just going through guys. And that's why I was, like, really excited. Like, Ryan Newell's a guy where I was surprised to see his name in the cuts because he was very, very good in Sussex. And Jose Jose, another guy very good in Sussex. Really, that whole Sussex team was very good. Not as good as New Jersey because, well, we saw the end result. but But still very good. Yeah. How, how is Frank Duncan not in an affiliated organization? It, bl- it blows my mind, to be honest with you. I don't know. I don't know. But uh, we'll kind of move to some of the smaller news items just to cover those this week. Uh, last week, I neglected to mention that we had another kind of uh, taxi squad facility deal reached. I mentioned Schaumburg had a deal with uh, the White Sox. The Kansas City T-Bones, technically, the I think the unified government of Wanat County or whatever it's called. I forgot what exactly they're called after their whole big uh, to-do last year with closing the team out of the stadium and all that jazz. Regardless, their ballpark will host the Kansas City Royals taxi squad. So uh, good yeah. for them. They'll get some use. Good for them. 
Yeah, great for them. Yeah, that's great news for, for an indie ball team like that. I guess it makes sense for the Royals. I mean, they could easily call guys in and out considering, I mean, it's literally in the same city and they, they don't have to go to like, I, I mean, I guess the next logical, the next closest would be like their AAA affiliate in Omaha, which is yeah. quite the hike. So, I mean, it, it makes a lot of sense. Great for the team bones to be able to, to be able to get some use out of their field. I'm assuming a good bit of cash as well. And let's not, let's make sure that's not neglected mm. in, in all this. So great for the T bones. Yep. And it certainly helps the T bones too, with their new ownership coming in. They spent a lot of money to upgrade that ballpark that I know that upgrade is going to be going on for the next couple of years too. So with uh, the revenue loss from the pandemic and obviously not playing this year, this will certainly help the cause out an awful lot too. Right. Uh, let's see. What else do we have on the docket here? Uh, just two things left here. Quickly, I'm just going to mention there is a GoFundMe. Normally, I don't like pushing GoFundMe or donation things on the show, but this one is uh, its worthwhile for it. A former Saint player, Tony Caldwell, he was in some sort of a serious car crash. So there's a GoFundMe for medical bills for that. I saw that on the Saints Twitter. So we're going to link the tweet, which links to the GoFundMe. Uh, it provides more context around the thing. I don't have too much information on that. I just know it was a car crash, and apparently he's uh, a bit messed up from that, so uh, any help you can give is appreciated there. Yeah, yeah, 100%. If, if, you, could help, if you could help him out, I, I think his family would certainly appreciate it. Yep, and then with that, it uh, goes to the final news story, and is a bit of Atlantic League news, too. It we is. have the... An update from Gastona. So I believe it was, what, uh, Tuesday or Wednesday last week? They put out yeah. the, the little graphic with the firecracker thing going, big announcement coming soon, which is the exact same logo as the uh, the multi-use center, or really it's just called the Fuse District in Gastonia. That, it was so obvious what they were doing. Exactly. It was so it obvious just, what the announcement was. Yeah. I did like reading all the Facebook and Twitter comments underneath it saying, they're expanding to Raleigh or some BS like that. It's like, uh, that's not quite it, Haas. <laughs> Good try. It's like, right state, little further, little further over. But, yeah. So I assume that means that Gastonia has formally decided to go with uh, <clears throat> the Atlantic League proposal. They did have all three proposals on the website at one point. I know this is, I know it's for fact because I have all three proposals on my phone. And as of yesterday, they were there. Yesterday meaning Thursday. And I downloaded them all, so I was able to read them. But I couldn't find them today, meaning Friday. Right. I mean, it, it's great news that, that, it, that it's official now. I kind of thought, it was, to be honest with you, I kind of thought it was official before. But I guess it's more official now. Um, I'm, I'm glad to know that we'll still have Gastonia in, in, uh, in the Atlantic League in 2021. I always think it's a, it's a better idea to... Um, to keep expanding south, I think it's. I think that's a good market to hit. I think you specifically look at the talent that High Point was able to bring in, that kind of untapped Atlantic League market in the south. So, and, and looking at the ballpark, I mean, I don't know about you, Nick. I think the ballpark looks pretty sick. To oh, be honest with you, it looks awesome. Like honestly, it is I, awesome. There's part of me that's seriously debating going. Okay, as long as the COVID's all cleared up, and we have an opening day set. I'm kind of tempted to go down there for opening day. Now, granted, that's I, not... I'm tempted to as well. Like, it's not the brightest idea to go all the way from New Jersey to North Carolina for an independent league game. But at the same time, I figure I could hit up Gastonia, 
and then swing over to High Point too and get to see yeah. them both. Because both yeah. of those are going to, like, one's going to be an amazing park, and one's already a great ballpark there. Right. Now, I know there's going to be a whole host of other things. Uh, Frank Bolton was the guy leading the charge on this one there. He was saying there's going to be concerts. Pro soccer's been a constant theme throughout all three proposals that came in. The only one that had esports was the American Association, or not American Association, uh, talking about them too much. Uh, the Atlantic League proposal was the only one to mention esports, which was something I didn't consider, but makes a lot of sense. That's growing an awful lot. I imagine it's fairly inexpensive to set up. And as long as there's a population around that's interested in it, you could certainly fill a ballpark full of it. I'm not exactly sure how many this ballpark seats. I want to say it's around 5,000. 5, yeah, it's 5,000. So 5,000 there. Plus, you figure you could probably tarp off the infield and put more seating down around there, set them all up in the outfield or something to that extent, and just put the, project the image onto the giant jumbo train. You could probably make it work there. So that's an idea that works. I also saw lacrosse tossed around a lot, which lacrosse is one of those sports which everyone's been saying it's going to be the next big sport for the past two decades. And everyone's still waiting for it to take that next step. I've never been big into lacrosse, to be honest with you. Like, I mean, no disrespect to any lacrosse, any lacrosse players. I know plenty of them. Trust me. It, yeah. it's, it, it's, but you know, it's just not, not something I could get totally into. I, I don't know. I mean, I'm into a lot of sports. Trust me. Like, mm -hmm. if if you want to DM me on ALPB underscore news on Instagram and talk literally any sport, I will be down to talk literally any sport i mean me, me and nick i mean nick knows yeah. how much uh we like to talk hockey even though we're baseball guys first of course hmm. but yeah i mean I, I just could never really get into lacrosse uh so so lacrosse is a big thing that uh this stadium is going to be hosting i could go into the separate proposals but realistically there's not that many differences uh the united shore league talked to the director of that league uh, justin orendorf that uh, a while back now, and he had mentioned they looked into Gastonia. Plan there was to have two to three teams there. Some of the Michigan teams would travel to Gastonia occasionally to play, uh, but they were going to need a management fee. They were looking to add a soccer team as well and some other things. The Coastal Plain League was also interested in getting involved here, and they were going to have a USL2 league. So I think that's like double A soccer. Which I can't imagine. Soccer. I can't imagine that draws terribly well. But they were going to have that in there, as well as some uh, some boxing matches, some MMA matches, and some professional wrestling. Which, for those that are unaware, of what professional wrestling is, it's not like Olympic wrestling. It's like the WWE or like the new rival one that's like the AEW, which is all staged to hell. But it is entertaining to watch if there's nothing else on. Anything that is. So obviously staged, I could never, never get into. See, I don't know. You have to play into it. You have to really like start to go into like, okay, I'm buying into this and really ham up the dramatics. And I don't know. I mean, as a, as a, as competitive of a guy as I am, I don't know. I, I just can't get into stuff that looks staged. I don't know. That, that that's just me. The one thing I did want to bring up yeah. uh, about the the park in general. Hmm. Um, it looks the, the obviously not um, like the surroundings or really the the outfield fence much, but more more like the seating bowl. 
it, it looks very similar to High Point. And what I wanted to ask you about is because it's going to see the exact same number as uh, High Point, that being 5,000. Do you think it's in the uh, newer indie ball stadiums that are going to be made, they're going to really start start to um, make stadiums that really go further down the line as it, as it appears uh, in, in the photo that I'm looking at and that not as many rows and it seats less like that 5,000 capacity. Do you think that's more like the future of indie ball stadiums instead of like those Somerset, like those, those six thousands or even Sugarland, I believe that's like 7,500. If you kind of catch what I'm saying. Yeah, I know what you're saying. And I'm actually really glad you asked about this because two of my really like big, like side pet interests are one business of sports, which is why I love talking to Josh Schwab, even though I only got like 10 minutes and he's already agreed right. to come back on later on. And once the season's over, I'm definitely going to have him back on because I want to pick his brain about the business end of it. For sure. But the other thing is stadium architecture. I'm really big into that for whatever reason. And it's a really odd thing to be into, but for some reason, I don't think it's odd. I think it's, I, I think it's definitely a great thing to be. Uh, like, uh, yeah. But it's just not a thing most people would think of, but for whatever reason, like, for stadium architecture, I'm really into it. And part of the thing, and those two things kind of go hand in hand because there is like this weird mix between like a futuristic look to stadiums now. And then there's the business aspect that wants more of an open feel. Like this is more on a major league level, but the same thing will apply to this level that we're talking about here, which is people aren't looking as much now to sit down and watch a baseball game. They're treating going to a baseball game more as a social experience. It's more of a place right. where you go with your friends, you kind of pay attention to what's happening on the field, but you're more or less there to just kind of talk with your friends, maybe buy something to eat at the game, then get a souvenir, and then, you know, it's a good night out. It's fairly cheap. Think of it as like a movie that you can talk through. You know, obviously in a movie theater, right. if you're talking through the whole thing, you're going to get some dirty looks. But at a baseball game, that's totally acceptable. I know personally when me and all my friends and everything go to a baseball game, I'm not sitting still for like seven, eight, nine innings. Certainly I'm paying attention to a lot of the game here, but I have to get up and walk around every couple of innings just to get up and stretch my legs. And after a while, especially with some games, it's like pulling teeth sometimes. And it's mm-hmm. like, okay, I want to get up and I want to walk around, which for a lot of stadiums, like you're saying with a, like a Somerset type design, it's a giant horseshoe and there's not really that big of a concourse because they had to sacrifice that to get the extra seating in. So with that extra seating, you take away the kind of more group gathering social areas, which I think with their next 20 thing, they were trying to improve on that. I know the one bar, yeah, one of the bar lounge areas that they were planning on doing, that was something that they wanted to do. And they're trying to get to be more of a giant community center point. And yeah, the, the, then they're they're also gonna like take out that that gr- uh, the grass seating out in uh, out down the right field line by the bullpen and make mm-hmm. uh make that like the new the new picnic area and make it a lot nicer. Like I I definitely see what you're saying. I definitely agree. Yeah, like that's just what apparently a lot of things are going now. Like if you notice with a lot of ballparks and just stadiums in general that are being built, that's what they're doing. They're cutting down the seating to get more group kind of open areas. Now, they still see a lot of people. I mean, 5,000 still isn't insignificant for a lot of indie ball teams, but that's just generally where the focus has shifted to. It's more, okay, well, let's see what uh, what's going on here. Let's get people into the ballpark because that's the primary goal. Because at least, 
like especially on the major league level, but to a certain extent, even on the mi- minor league level, if you're committed to watching the team, you could get a fairly comparable experience at home, which saves you money. Now, granted, on the independent league level, you're more or less going there for it's something to do. Now, you're also mm-hmm. supporting your team, certainly, but it's less of a diehard thing for a lot of people there, and that's something to keep in mind. But still, people want to kind of gather, they want to congregate, and doing so when you're kind of sitting in the line is a lot harder than if you're able to get a table and all sit facing each other and then still be able to watch the game. Right. Yeah, yeah I, I agree with what you're saying. I, I, it definitely makes a lot of sense. So that's why I kind of think is the general plan. I think Estonia is going to go a lot for that element too. And I'm going to be interested to see how the Atlantic League runs that ballpark and what they do in that respect there. Because like I said, the business of sport is something that's extremely interesting to me. Just to see how different leagues take different approaches and what they what the angle is on it. Because there's a lot of different ways to do things, but there are some constant threads throughout. Yeah, for sure. All right, so with that, I think we're pretty much good. I think we covered just about everything, unless there's something that you wanted to get to that we didn't. Nah, I think I think we pretty much covered it all. All right, so then we'll get to the plugs and everything. Uh, I'll let you plug your stuff first. You're the guest, so I'll allow you to uh, take your time and state anything that you want to state. Plug anything you want to plug. Now's the time. All righty. Uh, so, guys, if you, uh, I know this is my my third time on the on the show, but if you don't already follow follow me on Instagram, that that would be ALPB underscore news for the cover the Atlantic League, as you've probably figured out uh, after all of my Atlantic League. Uh, if you could sense my Atlantic League Homer uh, kind of bias in, in a way. But yeah, so I cover I cover the Atlantic League, do all kinds of stuff. Definitely cover uh, indie ball in general uh, as well. But that's that's ALPB underscore news. If you guys want to give me a follow or come come to my DMs and talk talk to me about like I mentioned any sport, I'm down to talk about any sport. As a, as a lot of as a lot of people know, you're more than welcome to do that. So once again, that's ALPB underscore news. Yep. Great content too. Really, really top-notch stuff. Also, great Very scouting sure. reports on a lot of stuff. Really solid scouting. But uh, so we'll plug I'll plug our stuff now. So you can find the show wherever you find podcasts. That's TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, Podomatic, Google Play. Like I said, anywhere you can find podcasts, you can find the show. You can continue to follow us on social media on Instagram at Indie Ball Report Podcast, or at just at Indie Ball Report. You can follow Indie Ball James for some stuff too. You can follow our YouTube channel where we do have a semi recent video. I think it's only like a week old uh, about the American Association and TV, whether it's worth the buy or not. Actually, it's two weeks, so I'll come to think of it now. But that's the YouTube channel. That's Indie Ball Report Podcast on YouTube. You can follow us on Twitter at Indie Ball Pod, or you could just find all that stuff on the website at www.indieballreport.com. Uh, that's where you can find show notes. Uh, the episodes themselves, articles, which I'll probably be writing a Gastonian one fairly soon once they announce it. I uh, may write a preview or something along those lines for it. But uh, you can find any article there, show notes, uh, episodes, or YouTube videos as well there. Only two other things of interest I'm going to plug. Uh, one is an Instagram follow you should definitely hit up in addition to the Indie Ball Report one and the ALPB underscore news one. MLR Studios is another one. 
that guy is really talented with making, I believe they're vector designs, but he does a lot of sports logos and stuff. I want to say he's an intern with either Sussex or with Southern Maryland. I think it's Southern Maryland. Either way, really good designs. In fact, he did a rebrand for uh, Southern Maryland earlier this week, and it was a really cool design there, too. Oh, yeah, I'm looking at it now. That, that, that's pretty sick. Yeah, no, his design's really cool. I really like his stuff. So I really wanted to plug that, too, because he deserves to have some more eyes on his stuff. Really talented stuff there. And then the other thing I wanted to note was Joshua Schaub, who is the commissioner of the American Association, does have a podcast, too. It's Commish Talks. And this week he had the com- the president of the Atlantic League, Rick White, on a show. It was a nice little listen to. Very interesting, especially if you're into the kind of business of sports like I am. It's definitely something that's worth a listen. So I'm going to throw that out there. I'm pretty sure you can find that AA Commish Talks wherever you find baseball or podcast too. So I wanted to toss that out there. So uh, with that said, do we have anything else left to add? Nope. I think, I think we covered it all. All right. Well, thanks for joining us this week. I appreciate you filling in. And uh, of course, anytime, anytime. And until next time, don't forget to play ball. Play ball.